Welcome everyone, you are listening to the I Am A Sparching Podcast with your host, Scott Knowles. Enjoy the show, it will probably suck. everybody this is scott the fane knowles and you're listening to another episode of i'm spartan ocr podcast got an awesome show tonight it's very informative on all the new things that are going on in spartan and i had the very awesome pleasure of being able to talk to kevin donahue about all this uh, i'm just gonna go ahead and go right into the interview because it's kind of long but it's very informative and i hope you listen to it and enjoy it thanks What's up, everybody? I got a really cool guy on the phone today. He's on the Spartan Pro team. I believe he's run 115 Spartan races. I'll let him clarify for it, but I got Kevin Donahue on the phone. What's up, Kevin? What's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. So how many races is it? I think I counted 115. Do you have the total on the top of your head? I think the totals, like, you're real close. I, I'm actually think it's like 113 at this point. But, uh, I mean, come on. I mean, that, that, that's real close. Your guess is right there. So I'll give props, man. Cool. And, and, and I know, like, last year, last year you had a goal because I talked to you at a venue and you were trying to get to a certain number of podiums. And wasn't it like 60 podiums or something like that? Yeah, what it was was... Um, it was, I was trying to achieve uh, 30 Masters podiums in one calendar year. And I was actually able to hit it. Um, on the last race of the year, I got 31. Um, so I had, combined with the one overall podium I had that year, it was 32. So this year, I'm trying to break that one. I'm trying to surpass that as well. Oh, no way. How many, how many podiums you got so far? Uh, 12 total, 11 Masters podiums. Holy crap. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You know, I mean, listen, we, we all have goals we want to set, and, um, you know, I don't hit the overall podium as much as I used to in, in the past. And, uh, you know, once I graduate into the Masters Division, you know, it gets harder and harder, and every year, like, the athletes are getting better and more specialized, and it just shows you, like, how, um, how wonderful the sport is and how many more great athletes are coming in and taking it seriously. So, I almost see it as almost like uh, the more the the more poorly I do in like the standings actually is like just showing how much the sport is growing, which is a good thing. That's how it should be. And one day uh, I'll kind of graduate out and uh, out of being a um, you know a highly competitive uh, professional on the circuit, and uh, and that's life. And that's going to be a, that's going to be a tough day, but it's also a good day, you know, because uh, like I said, the the more more people that are out there like hitting podiums and making it more competitive and making it more difficult the more the sport's growing and that's the most important thing yeah this sport is really it's growing out of sight it really is blow it up yeah. absolutely blowing up i mean if you would have told me uh when i started doing this back in 2011 that uh we'd be on multiple tv shows and you know doing live coverage of our events and you know having all the professional teams with all the, the great sponsors but just the sheer number of people 
who are doing obstacle course racing in the world, it's well over 5 million. Um, That's you know, and, uh, and that was just, I think, last year alone. Um, and this year it's just going to grow even more to all these different countries and the wide variety of people that get to do this. It's just phenomenal. It's literally the fastest growing recreational sport on the planet. I know, and it's crazy how Spartan, you know, they'll be putting on three to seven races in one weekend, you know, all over the world. It's, it's amazing. And, yet, and that doesn't even count, you know, Tough Mudder and yeah. Warrior Dash and, you know, Savage. before, unfortunately, it folded Battle Frog and all these other, um, uh, I wouldn't say smaller, but uh, all these other, you know, kind of fringe obstacle course races that are out there. That, that all had their place, and, you know, hopefully there, there's more that come out as well and, uh, you know, create some healthy competition and just innovation. It's, it's just great. Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, it, to all of those people out there, if you don't know what Kevin Donahue looks like, if you ever think you're going <laughs> to sign up for a Spartan race and then you're like, no, I'll do it later, and then they send you that email like, you know, here's your extra push. It usually has Kevin's picture jumping over the fire, pointing at the camera. <laughs> I think that's like the most used Spartan picture that they have in their repertoire. But it, uh, It's crazy if you think about it. I mean, that, that picture, I'll tell you, that photo was taken in July of 2014. I had just, um, and I, I say this humbly, I just nipped uh chris shatman by you know a couple seconds coming into the the finish line and he he and i had a great battle that day and uh he's such a phenomenal athlete Dang, yeah he's, he's fast yeah oh he, yeah he's he's incredible so uh to have that kind of battle with him and then uh one of my best buddies is uh david mcgee yeah and uh we hadn't been on the podium together in a while and so when i was been over the fire I spotted him waiting for me at the finish line because he had just won it. And so I jumped and I just pointed at him with both fingers and I was screaming. <laughs> and he just happened to be standing right next to the cameraman. So it looks like I'm pointing right at the camera, but I'm actually pointing right <laughs> at David Makita. And uh, David Makita, if you don't know, he does the announcing for and the uh, a lot of the commentating and the color work for NBC yeah. um, sports coverage of our... Of our, um, yeah, he did great at Seattle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that live coverage is incredible. I was happy to be part of that. Oh, man, that's and, so uh, awesome for the sport. Oh, it really is. It, I mean, that needed to be done that, bad. You know that one time there was over 40,000 people simultaneously watching that? That's insane. I watched every that, second of it. I didn't miss a peep. I, you're not the only one. People were glued to it. And uh, you know, like I've heard that so, from so many people. Yeah, I think about how many people that is. That's a Major League Baseball stadium. Shit, that was like Super Bowl to me, man. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, I hope you watch it uh, on Saturday in Monterey because I'm hoping to do, hopefully I get an opportunity to do the sideline commentating again. Um, nursing a couple injuries right now. My, my leg had a hamstring issue, and that's just about back to normal. So uh, my training's just starting to kind of pick up again. And uh, I dove across the finish line in, uh, in Austin last weekend, and uh, – and jacked up my shoulder pretty good, so I'm still trying to wait for that to heal. So <laughs> it, there could be an opportunity for me to have a mic in my hand again doing some uh, color analyst stuff up from the sidelines at that race, so I hope so. Yeah, that was really cool when you were doing that and you were going along talking to the athletes, you know, doing the race. That was really neat footage, too. 
And I mean, I know it was kind of like best, filler for the race too, but that was pretty cool. I, I tell you what, the best part was talking to um, talking to the people in the spectator area. Yeah. And um, the open racers that are just you know they're out there on the course just like everybody else, giving it their all, and you know kind of getting their opinion and their uh, their take on what the course was like and you know how it felt for them. Because I mean, we we all hear from you know like I mean, I, obviously I love them to death, they're my teammates, but from the Robert Killians and from the Alyssa Hollies and the face standings and, you know, the other people that are on the pro team and the, that are running these races at a very high level, the Ryan Atkins and the two Websters. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's so cool to hear from the open races out there and hear from those athletes and, and what they're going through because, you know, hey, I mean, you know, Robert Killian, you know, he might get done with that course on Saturday and, you know, an hour and a half. But just people out there for five or six hours, That's you know, right. they're – they're giving it their all, and I, I want to know about them, and I think a lot of people do also. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, hey, Kevin, I want to I want to back up just a second, uh, just to get a little bio on you, maybe. How did you, like, what was your entry into obstacle racing? Like, what made you do your first one? Uh, I'll back it up a little from there. I had, I had uh, played football um, professionally, uh, excuse me, semi-professionally and, uh, collegiately, you know, in my younger days, in my early twenties and, uh, mid twenties. And before that I'd been, you know, kind of, a you know, this is an all American kid running around the woods, climbing trees, fishing. Um, people think New York's just concrete jungle. I lived about an hour north of New York city and it's just very rural. Uh, it's where I actually live now still. And uh, so I got a chance to be very adventurous, and then I got to the team sports. And then once I kind of got done with that, I had to avoid. Um, I didn't want to be that that ex football player who just kind of sat around, uh, you know, the TV or the bar, like slugging back beers and talking about the glory days. So I got into, you know, I got into running, and running turned into like triathlons, and then triathlons turned into ultra running. So I developed a skill set as far as like a long distance runner. I wasn't great by any means. I was just an average guy in, in, uh, in terms of that. And uh, back in 2011, I'm pumping gas. And uh, one of my local friends, who's a police officer, came up to me. He's like, hey, he's like, you should try this. And he threw me a shirt and it had a Spartan helmet on it. And I'm like, what's this? He's like, oh, it's kind of like a warrior dash. And I'm like, oh, I've heard of those. <laughs> I, I wanted to try one at the end of the summer. I, I think I could be pretty good at it. And this was a Tri-State Tuxedo. It was actually just called the Tuxedo one then. It wasn't even called Tri-State. But it was the Tuxedo Sprint, which is now the Tri-State Sprint. And uh, it was maybe like the fifth or sixth Spartan race they've ever had. And he's like, yeah, it's right down the road. And it was actually in a venue where I learned how to ski. So I was like, what a great place to do my first obstacle course race. And I learned how to ski there. So I show up. And uh, there's all people from all different walks of life there's guys doing push-ups and flexing and <laughs> you know like because they thought it was going to be more you know they're here at spartan race so they think they're going to be running through the woods just like beating things up and you know carrying heavy stuff the whole time and thought they were going to kill it and uh this was back when joe DeSena still showed up to like every single race because i mean this is literally like ground floor like bomb and pop just building obstacles there and it was just completely random. It was a lot different from what it looks today. Right. And he comes to the start line. He's like, hey, um, there's this guy, and he's won a bunch of our races already, and um, I'm going to put 
$20,000 on his head. If you could beat this man, we'll give you $20,000. No way. If you could stay within two minutes of him, we'll give you $1,000. Wow. Was that Hobie? And that's a Hobie call. And uh, so here comes Hobie. And, you know, he, everybody knows what Hobie looks like. He's just yeah. kind of, hey, hey, you know, how you doing? <laughs> you know, he's, uh, he's on the skinnier side. He looks like... Half the guys in this race look like they could blow them over at any point, you know, like they could, like, flick them with their finger and knock them over compared to the size of some of these dudes. And, and I'm even thinking, I'm like, man, I'm like, all right, I'm like, this guy must be pretty badass. He just put 20 Gs on his head. But yeah. I'm like, I think I could stay maybe within two minutes of him, so I'm going to try. <laughs> so the race starts, the race actually began with the fire jump. Wow. So you jump over the fire to start the race. <laughs> And then they hit you with a fire hose. You jumped over a fire, got hit with a fire hose, and then it was up the mountain. So That's I actually, cool. he and I were up about the top of the mountain at about the same time. And then we start coming down. We're about the same time. And then the second climb, he just starts pulling away. And I said, uh, "That's why he put twenty thousand dollars on him. <laughs> he's, he's gone." So um, after Hobie like kind of lollygagged and danced and jumped around in the water and had some fun with, like, the spectators. He comes into the finish line. I wound up actually coming in fourth that day, which I was very happy with. And I was about eight and a half minutes behind Hobie. And that was the closest I ever came to him in a race until a couple weeks ago down in Miami. And, you know, we're racing and then, you know, you have the sandbags and you got the buckets. And actually, we had no sandbag carry that day. It was just the bucket carry. Um, they hadn't introduced the sandbag carry yet. Right. Um, but you had um, you had everything, you know, and uh, we had the chariots of fire, which was basically this box, this wooden crate with that was drilled into a set of skis with a rope around it. And you put the rope around your waist, and you had to go around this loop. And the <laughs> last part of the loop was you walked through about ten yards of barbecue. They had like hot coals on the ground. It was basically a human barbecue, and you had to carry this thing over the barbecue. And it's like 90 degrees. It's about three-quarters of the way through the race, and now you're literally walking through this human barbecue. That's and it had, crazy. you know, like 300 degrees, like walking over that thing. It was absolutely scorching hot. Your shoes are melting. And those, you know, the kind of early days of Spartan, where it was just out of this world. And, and like everybody else who's done this sport, the second they do it, they fall in love with it. And oh, you yeah. know what? This is going to be... This is going to be something that really catches on. I love it, and this is my new thing. And from that point on, I just I've been living and breathing Spartan race and obstacle course racing, and it's uh, it's you know become you know an everyday. You know, I wake up thinking about it, and I go to sleep thinking about it. Obsession, and uh, I love it. Man, I hear you. I'm I'm the same way, man. I'm totally hooked to it. I did my first race thinking. You know, I'll try this. Some friends are, you know, wanting to do it. We'd do it as a group and see what it's all about. I did my first race, you know, and I was hooked. I was hooked. <clears throat> well, you were you were mentioning about that Miami race, and, and I wanted to ask you about it. I knew you were there, but did you do the, uh, what was this little, I, I know it wasn't the, this extra qualifying race that they did down there. What was that all about? That was the USA OCR qualifying race to um, qualify you to be on the U.S. national team. Right. Both as a 
overall elite racer and an age group racer. Even though the age grouping in this was different, it was actually part, it wasn't a, it was considered elite. It wasn't like a regular normal open race. I'll explain how. Um, the, the first wave that went out, which was like categorized in that race as the elite part, was the people who qualified for that will be the ones that qualify for the Olympics or world championship races where they don't have age group categories. So if you wanted to do that, that first wave that like Killian and Ryan Kent and Mark Patrick Grin, that was the one that qualifies you to get into like the Olympics. All right. The, or, or to compete at a, you, a qualifier that would send you to the Olympics. Right. The one that I qualified in they said, listen, I'm looking at the lineup and I'm like, look, I got, you know, yeah. like, first of all, if they had an Olympics, by the time like, it got to me, I'm not going to be there anyway. Right. So I had to look at my abilities, you know, realistically. Like, where do I really see myself, like, you know, working out? And, I mean, right now, obviously, it's been in the Masters division. But that's really where my strengths lie here. I still compete very well competitively. You know, I'm generally in the top ten overall either way. But at this level, I'm like, where am I best at? So that's in the, the age grouping, which for mine was the 40 to 44 year old. So I'm like, I'm going to drop back and I'm going to qualify for that. And basically what that qualified me for was any race where they had age group championships, such as like the Pan American Games right, or the Pan Am Championships or any other international race where they have age group ranking. And they took the top five, the top three people from that age group. Did you make so it? Whoever ran, they take the, I did. I actually, I won that heat. Um, cool. And that like qual that actually right now I'm considered the national champion for the forty to forty four year olds, and that was the first ever USAOCR, which is now our governing body, which is subject to WADA and USADA, which is the World Anti Doping Association and the United States Anti Doping Association's drug standard policy. So we're subject to all their rules and all their governing. And um, did they test USA y'all before OCR, this race? No. They're subject to the testing if they ever do it, to the testing policy. Oh. But they didn't do that here. It's still, again, this is still in the very, in, this is the very infancy stages. This stuff takes a long time to develop because drug testing done right still isn't the most accurate thing in the world. Right. It's very, very expensive. So that's why it takes, it takes such a long time for us to go through all the things it takes to get there. Right. And um, so they're going to have more qualifying races over the next uh, couple, um, over the next six months, which are going to be um, followed up by the Pan, the Pan American Championships, which will be actually in the Bahamas. And the consulate from the Bahamas was in, the, in Miami to announce that we were going to be going there. So that Ooh. race qualified all the top three age groupers plus the... Um, plus the, those three from the Elite Wave, to go to the Bahamas in November and compete down there, which is pretty awesome. Right. And uh, USA OCR is also governed underneath um, the U.S. Olympic Committee. So we're, you know, again, we're, we're, a, we're a small faction of, you know, our country's international, um, you know, competition rules and committees, which will be growing. And the goal is obviously in you know the next decade 
to have the entire world, you know, following these same guidelines so that we could all enter into serious, hardcore international competition that's, you know, that's tested and it's governed correctly and we're all under the same rules. And this was one of those, you know, how they always had, you know, they had the first Spartan race that I was just talking about. And it was, you know, again, very bare bones and, um, you know, the very beginnings. And that's what that was down in Miami. It was literally the, right. the birth of what we see as being um, an internationally seriously governed body which will be able to administer some of the most exciting OCR events that will be in our in our near and distant future. It was super exciting to be part of the very first one. Oh, and yeah. the gentleman that worked behind that, Robert Killian and Ian Adamson and the other people that have been working, they've been working on this for years behind the scenes. You know, it got kind of frustrating sometimes when you're seeing all the complaints about, you know, why is Spartan doing this and why is this, this race here is doing that and Spartan's not doing it. Well, a lot of these things are kind of kept hush-hush because they had to go through all these protocols to get everything serious, you know? the um, Even the, the T-shirt um, rules for us being on podiums, you know, all that's done to professionalize the sport because you have to, you have to make it, you have to professionalize it so that when they're pushing these things towards the Olympics, all these other um, governing bodies have to see us as a serious sport, you know? So if you want to be a professional and if you want to have the, the sport progress forward, people have to act like more professionals. And uh, the things needed to be kind of cleaned up. And, yeah, it's not going to rub people, everybody the right way at the beginning. But, you know, what? if you're going to evolve, you have to change. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like working out. You're, unless you suffer a little bit, you're, you're never going to evolve. You're never going to change for the good. And that's kind of what this process has been like for the last, like, three years. And I've watched these guys work, and they've worked tirelessly to get us there. It's been incredible to see. Yeah. Well, it's even I heard uh, Matt Davis interviewing uh, Joe Decina, uh when he was in Shanghai or wherever that race was at. And, and Joe was even saying that, you know, if, if he doesn't try to progress – the sport you know into the olympics you know it can hit it he, he, he said it can almost hit its peak and maybe fizzle out you know or not bring the numbers like it is before it's like you said you got to keep growing and try to progress for it to make it you know because it, it was like you know like rollerblading rollerblading was huge what like 10 years ago and like hardly nothing now you know yeah yeah i mean there's uh you know, I mean, obviously there's, it, that's a good analogy. There's, a, there's a obviously differences there, but uh, oh, yeah. there's a lot of things that have fizzled out. And, and, you know, people were telling me when I first started doing this, like, this isn't going to be a thing. This is a fad. Yeah. I'm like, you don't get it. Like, But, like, trying to go into the Olympics is what will prevent it from being a fad. If you have it, you know, worldwide where you got athletes that are, training to be better at this sport it's not going to go anywhere right and i, th- I think the biggest difference that sometimes people uh, forget between obstacle course racing and other sports that have come along and fizzled out is th- the reason obstacle course racing is what it is um especially in the format that spartan tough mutter warrior dash and some of the other ones have done it is that it really returns human beings to where our species really started 
You know, it's like, a, like for the same reason human beings want to be near water, because it makes up so much of our bodies, the same reason people need to be in the mud. Right. And people need to be struggling, and people need to be climbing, because it's in our DNA. Yeah. You know, it's part of what makes us human beings. And it's something that, with all our technology and our creature comforts, that, that we had lost for for many, many decades. And, you know, obviously it keeps getting, you know, a lot of our things keep getting pushed further from there. And this sport, more than any other activity that's ever come around, really returns, I feel, human beings back to, you know, what we're made of. And that's, you know, being in the mud and suffering and pushing ourselves and not having things come easy. And uh, that's something that goes far beyond just, like, an addiction of getting medals and just, you know, and getting bibs or, for me, getting podiums. It's literally <laughs> keeping me in the environment that I genetically feel like I should be in. That's in the mud and that's in the dirt and that's in the mountains and the lakes and, yeah. and the rivers and all of it, you know, and in the snow. And uh, that that's something I don't think that gets analyzed enough because it's just so, um, it's hard to put a finger on. It's that X factor that it's kind of hard to decipher and you can't really explain it, but it's just so overpowering. Right. It's a, and and uh, I know Spartan hosted that race, but it wasn't like your your typical Spartan race. You know, I heard that it didn't have carries and they tried to make the distance of the race where it would be the same for everyone. Is that right? I mean, just describe that yeah, race what, for what? us. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain it. It was um, an international competition right now because basically what this is is the, the way this is being, um, from the best understanding I have, and again, if anybody hears this, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's basically turning modern pentathlon into what, you know, is rearranging into what we know now as like obstacle course racing. And in events like modern pentathlon, if you have weights that need to be carried, they have to be, they're subject to body weight percentage of the athletes that are doing them. Uh. So if you were going to do a heavy carry in an international competition, you would actually have to have weight classes. Or the weights for each person would have to be at a certain percentage of their body weight. So they'd have to be there that would be designated for the athlete. You know, I mean, so that, that's going to be inconvenient. Hard to, yeah. That's really hard. I mean, talking about convoluted, it's really hard to set up those. Like, all right, oh, yeah. let's create weight classes or actually get everybody's weight and create weights that are subject to them. And you'd have to weigh everybody in or we just take out the carry. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes so the carries, sense. So the carries were all removed. For, you basically ran the Spartan race course that was, with the exception of the carries, you bypassed all the carries. And any burpee obstacles, such as the spear, the twister, the um, the Olympus, the rig, if there was any failures on those, um, also the laser shooting. We had laser shooting. There was a laser gun that you had to shoot. It was a standard penalty loop. And people would run up and then come back, back onto the course. So it was a penalty way, loop, kind of like Tough Mudder has? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I don't know what Tough Mudder's Penny Loop looks like, but this was basically kind of like, you know, it was like 100 yards out and 100 yards back, I think. Right. Or it might have been 50 yards out of back. I didn't do a penalty that day because I, I couldn't tell you how long it was. Because you crushed it. Wasn't it. Very, 
It wasn't very long. Right. Oh, because that day, though, was horrid down there. The humidity was so bad. Oh, I bet the air so was hot. just sticking to you. Oh, it was so thick. If, if you had Bill Brumbar from Brociar, like, he couldn't breathe. I mean, my <laughs> time was funny because I ran the, re- the regular sprint the day before, and with all the carries, with a, a bucket carry, a sandbag carry, the Atlas Stone lift, and the... Um, uh, the Hercules hoist. My my time was only like three and a half minutes faster without all the carries the next day. <laughs> Damn. Like that's it. Like that's how hot and humid and thick it was. We were just suffering. It was so bad. But um, it was one of the coolest events I've ever done, and uh, and we learned a lot. We really did learn a lot. And what's great about the people at USAOCR too is um. They're so open to feedback from all the athletes who did it, or even if there's somebody who hasn't done it, they're so open to new ideas and suggestions on how to make things better because they know that, you know, like if they listen to the athletes, we're the ones doing it, um, there's going to be some great ideas that come out of that. I mean, not all of them would be, not everything could be implemented, but I encourage anybody who really loves OCR and has a passion for the future where this is going is, you know, get involved. Get involved in USAOCR. Um, become a member. Become part of the solution and propelling this sport forward. If you're on the outside looking in and just looking at Facebook posts or things from Instagram and you're not contributing, you're, you're not doing the best job that you can to move the sport forward. Like, there's a lot of really smart people that are probably listening to your podcast. I urge all of you to get involved. If you do get involved... You're going to make a difference, and you can make it better for all of us. Right. Nobody listens to this podcast, Kevin. <laughs> well, I'm going to listen to it now, man. I'm on it. <laughs> um. So tell us about uh this this laser pistol deal. Like, what is that? What was that all about? Um. They they actually unleashed it in the Colorado Military Super last year. Right. And so it it's great. Like you you. You run up to this table, and there's like a laser target on the other side that has five lights on it. And so you have this laser pistol gun. It looks like, for all those old school people that know what I'm talking about. Don't say it looks like an NES Nintendo gun. Exactly. (laughs) Like a Nintendo gun. A little more, but about the same size and weight. It's got this little crank on it, and you pull the handle back to cock it. It's very easy to do. And you just pull it and fire. And you have... I believe 50 seconds to hit the target three times. And if you miss, you just pull the cock back, you cock the thing again, and you fire. And and what's great is it shows a light. Every time you hit the target, one of the lights goes off. And you just got to keep plugging away as many times as you can until you hit three lights. And if you don't hit three lights within 50 seconds, a buzzer goes off, and and then you hit your penalty loop. It actually starts blinking at like the 10 second mark. So when there's 10 seconds left, it starts blinking at you. And I think at this five seconds left, it starts blinking like faster or a different color. It was really cool. We loved it. And so if you and don't, if you don't make the obstacle, does the dog stand up and laugh at you? <laughs> no, the dog doesn't stand up and laugh at you. And it doesn't, a balloon doesn't fill up or pop. <laughs> but, um, but what was cool was, was like, Hey, they wanted everybody to have a fair chance to be able to get it. They let everyone who wanted to, 
go back to those tables before the race started and practice and get and familiarize themselves with it. Hey, you that's know, cool. They weren't trying to make it tricky or, you know, like surprise anybody. They wanted everyone going out there having a legitimate chance to go out and be successful. It was probably easier than throwing a rake handle with a n- n- nail in the end of it. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a lot more fun, too. And if you missed, you could shoot again. You just had 50 seconds to get it. But the spear throw was involved, was in the race, too. So oh, really? You had the gun, but you had the spear also. So the so, spear yeah, was, was in that? Two oh, that's crazy. I figured that would have been yeah. something they took the spear out. Nah, I mean, if you think about it, a spear, it's basically the same for everybody. It's just it's the same distance and they're all having to throw it. You know, as long as everything's standardized, it works. That's why we had the penalty loop because you can't really standardize burpees. So was the rope climb in it too? The rope climb was in it, yes. Hmm. So the, um, one of the suggestions I had because you can't have the heavy carries is just adding more body weight oriented obstacles. Right. You know, things like the Tyrolean, maybe a, a taller rope climb, maybe multiple rope climbs. You know, adding some more ladders, more things that are challenging your grip, yeah. your upper body strength, um, your your ability to maneuver around on things, um, possibly more balance, balance beams and things like that, like that we used to have. Yeah. Uh, things like the log hop, you right. know, slack line. But adding all those things in that, you know, encompass more of the, the total athleticism of an athlete. Hmm. You know, and like, you don't have to have a heavy carry to have a race be very muscularly challenging if you're using body weight the right way. Right. Shoot, man, that sounds pretty cool. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, like, again, look at uh, whoever's listening. Get on that USAOCR website and check the schedule and go out and, and apply, you know, and uh, go out and try the race huh. and give it a chance. It's a little different from doing a regular Spartan race, which is great because we want variety. Speaking of variety, man, did you see the – New short course that got unleashed in Austin, Texas last week? I was just about to lead into that. I wanted to ask you, so this has absolutely nothing to do with that race in Miami. This nothing is, to do with it at all. This is just Spartan doing a, a small, short race. Correct. I saw it, man. It looked like everybody was about to die and pass out. They were so winded at the end of that race. It was one of the most punishing physical activities that are around. And it was just a mile was, long, it right? It was brutal. It was 0.6 miles. Wow. It was 1,000 meters. And what they did was they had these two um, these two gauntlets of obstacles that were at basically kind of by the start line and at the finish line. And we basically ran out, ran through four obstacles, through one section of the festival area that was on the outside of the festival area, and then we just cut like where the showers were in festival, and then came down the backside to hit the last gauntlet of obstacles that led into the finish. So, Scott, you're running this race at an all-out sprint, and right. you're going as hard as you can for the entire point six of a mile. You know, you have to hit these obstacles so much faster. You have to be much more aggressive in attacking them, like. You're hitting the monkey bars faster than you ever did before. Like, you're taking risks on the multi-rig like you would never take. Right. Um, the same with the Olympus. Um, you have to you take some extra, you know, like, risks on the rope, by, you know, trying to move up faster. Everything had to be done quicker because you didn't have any time to make up with your run, you know. And um, 
it was fast. It was furious. You know, like you, we're all jumping in there trying to pick up our sandbags. We had a double sandbag carry. Yeah, I saw that. Big, with the wreck bags, there were 60 pounds a piece. So you had 120 pounds of sandbags, and they were all kind of piled together. All the guys hit at the same time. It was like Mortal Kombat trying to get sandbags. <laughs> so guys getting bounced around everywhere and knocked over, and, and you don't know, like, I'm trying to pick up sandbags, and I'm getting hit from behind, and I'm getting pushed into people, and I'm trying to push people off me so I can get my bag. <laughs> it was nuts. I don't know you who know, was filming it. It looked like somebody was just filming it with their phone and uh, running around was, beside uh, y'all. I think it was Yancey or somebody else Yancey, with Yancey. Yancey did a phenomenal job of filming it. And, uh, Joe D.I. was out there filming it as well. Yeah, it was um, awesome. But it was brutal. So basically we had um, 10 people in a heat, right? So you had these different qual. We had like four or five qualifying heats. And um, they had 10 people generally to a heat, men and women together. And you ran a lap. You you did the whole point six mile course, and then whoever had the top ten times in that course moved on to a final round. So you got so to you do it twice. The, yeah, exactly. So you had to wait till all the waves went through, and then if you made the top ten times, then you had to go again in the final. That's brutal. So, like. Trust me, as great as it was to make it to the finals, and I had the third best time between behind Mike Mark and uh, Isaiah. And Isaiah, there was a huge part of me like, man, I got, I got to run that again, <laughs> you know. And uh, it was kind of like Spartan Ultimate Team Challenge all over again. And um, so I got out there and we ran again, and it was just at least the sec- at least the first time, excuse me, the second time through, it was about where you placed, and it didn't worry about your time, like. I was the first guy to finish the first wave, the first heat. So even though I was far ahead, I had to run it as hard as I could. Because I, I didn't know if my time was going to hold up with four or five extra heats behind me. Right. So I had to run it as hard as I can. I couldn't worry about where I was placing. And yeah. the last heat, I got into a spot where I was like, all right, I was, I was too far behind Isaiah and Mark to catch them. But I was far enough ahead of the fourth place guy where I, I kind of was able to settle in a little bit. So I was able to kind of bring the heart rate down a little at the end. So you weren't risking out. I was trash. I was gassed. And um, what was great about it was, you know, if you're an athlete out there, and again, you're listening to this, and you don't maybe have the best um, long-term, uh, long-term endurance, like you don't really, you know, compete with guys like, you know, in a beast well or super – but hey, maybe that guy where, where when you run a sprint, you're still able to hang with everybody in like the first mile, then you know what? This is for this you. race is for you. Because you can go out there and compete. And if there is one mistake, you could be literally like the, the guy who's like in 10th place, and the next thing you know, you're like in 5th or 4th, just because you moved up, because other people just made one little hiccup. You know, they... One person falls off one obstacle. If you do, it's it's fifteen burpees as opposed to thirty. But if you get like thirty burpees, you're done. Oh yeah, if, it, like if you if you mess up one obstacle and everybody else gets them, I mean that's that's your race. You you're wasted. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, again, it, it's fast, furious, and uh, it was incredibly taxing, but man, it was fun. It was a lot of fun too. Once it was like all over, and uh, the the format was really cool and. Uh, we're doing it again in two weeks in, uh, at the Tri-State Tuxedo venue, which is 10 minutes from my house, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah, I seen where they had it posted. I seen some people on Facebook saying that they were going to do it. That's why I wanted to ask you about it because I knew you'd done it. And I, I like I said, I watched that whole video and I and I just seen I was sitting in, in the living room and on my phone I just seen Spartan live feed and I was like, huh, I wonder what this is. And then it said time trial race and that was actually the first I had heard of it. You know, was on that when that live feed popped up. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was just. I mean, I thought it was cool, but that is one of those races where that race is short enough to where if you're a decent runner and you're more obstacle proficient than, say, somebody that's a faster runner, there's a good chance you might take them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Um, so uh, I, I would recommend it. There's a whole different um, skill set that that requires to be great at. Uh, would be very competitive at, and there's a lot of guys out there right now that you know what I mean. Maybe they're frustrated because they train real hard, but they're coming in like, you know, like fifth in their age group, or they're coming in thirtieth overall, a regular Spartan sprint. But they might go out and dominate at one of these races. Yeah. So I think it's going to bring out a whole new athlete to come out, the one that's bigger, stronger, and more powerful and explosive over that short distance that could really do some damage. I definitely want to try one. I hadn't seen where all they're going to. I know they did that one in Austin, and then they're doing that one in Tuxedo. I hadn't seen where else they're going with it, though. Yeah, I don't know um, how many more is scheduled after that, but uh, but it, it, I, I did a huge hit. And uh, it's, what's great is they're able to run it the night before. Yeah, it's on um, Friday. The regular, the regular race, so... You know, you're doing it on Friday night, so it's adding a whole other day of competition. Yeah, that's pretty cool too. So you still get a you get you still can get a ray a rest before the next day race too. And let me tell you how because of the nature of it, it's run in the obstacle clusters that are right in the festival area. It's the best viewing experience you'll ever have. Being oh yeah, live at a at a Spartan race, the best viewing experience. Oh it's yeah, tremendous. Man. So they were they were letting people come out and spectate this race too, right? Oh, it was free. Yeah, it was free spectating. People came out. Like the cheering was wild. It was awesome. Oh, it I was bet. Really cool. Oh, I bet. Yeah, we we all had a blast. We all had a blast doing it. I mean, it was savage, and uh, you know, it, it hurt while we were doing it, man. But it was incredible to be at, and the people that went to watch had a blast watching. Yeah, it was cool at the end where you jumped over Isaiah. I remember seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just he decided to take a knee and squat down like right in front of me. And I'm like, ah, he's there. I got to jump over him. <laughs> and then as soon as I landed, I was like, oh, and then I collapsed. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. So uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't know they were doing this too until I met you in Atlanta. And you had just done the obstacle specialist training that Spartan's offering, and they do it on Fridays also. And that's where, what, like a pro team member and an SGX coach, you can sign up for this course, and y'all pretty much do no running, and y'all just walk around and practice the obstacles, correct? It is. Obstacle specialist course is all about the obstacles. There is a... I literally make sure I advertise to people who come. I said, you know what? Listen, if you walk out of here exhausted, it's only because you're going to say 
I did so many obstacles today that <laughs> I'm just completely wiped out. Um, it's not about doing burpees. It's not about getting wet. It's certainly not about running. We will work on certain forms of running because if running is an actual obstacle. If you think about it, it's something you have to do. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's 90% of every race that you're at, for the most part, is the running. But what we'll do is work on ways to improve as a runner biomechanically in terms of getting your warm-ups better and giving you little tricks to help make you a more efficient runner. But the idea is not to go out there and run a lot at all. Right. But we'll go to as many obstacles as we could get to, depending on how spread out they are. It's um, always best. I've always found it best when we do it at, like, say, a sprint course. Because they're close together. Or even a super course. The obstacles are closer together, and we don't have to traverse or travel far to get to them. But we work on everything from the approach from when you're looking at the obstacle from 50 yards away and you're getting in and what you should be thinking about before you get there, what to look for at the obstacle. Then when you get to the obstacle, choosing whatever lane or or line or um, part of the obstacle that you feel will be most advantageous to you on that day considering the weather conditions or how – or what obstacles you had before that, what obstacles you had after that, and then giving you strategies, uh, both physically and mentally, to traverse your way across whatever obstacle it is, um, and keeping in mind the things that you've already done on the course and things that you may have after. So we look at all these different aspects of what it takes to achieve and you know conquer these obstacles most adequately and cut down on burpees as much as humanly possible. And we have a lot of fun, too. Um, I'm blessed enough where it's like anytime you you hit a podium in the Spartan Race Series, they send you a a free code for a race. I I didn't know that up until like last December. (laughs) So I I looked at like people like, yo, check your coupon codes. I'm like, I checked my coupon codes on Chrono Track and I had like, you know, like 70 coupons for, oh my God. for podium finishes and stuff like that. I'm like, holy smokes. I'm like, what am I going to do with all these? So I just started giving them away as Christmas gifts that year. That's awesome. And just started hooking people up. People like, oh, why don't you sell them? I'm like, why would I want to sell them? I'm like, let me, you know, let me get back and, you know, and hook some people up. So I gave them out as Christmas gifts. And then um, when this year started and they started piling up again, I'm like, how am I going to use these coupon codes? I'm like, well, wh- why don't I have competitions at the uh, obstacle specialty courses and I'll give them to the winners of the competitions there. So we have like spear throw competitions after we're out there learning on the spears and people are out there throwing like, you know, 50 to 60 spears, <laughs> you know, at the specialty course. I mean, as many as their arm could take. Right. And then we're doing a competition for everyone. And people have a blast with it. They really enjoy it. Oh, I bet um, it's fun. Just everybody hanging out and just tell it, everybody going through their different ways talking about how, well, this is the way I do it and why. And, you know, and somebody might see where somebody else is making a mistake and they can say, hey, why don't you try it this way? I see where that could be an awesome benefit to people that are struggling. Oh, you, you couldn't have said it better. And, you know, I'll take that even further. Is uh, you ever and, see that movie Accepted with Jonah Hill? Uh, where those college kids, they don't get into school, so they... They create their own college? Yes, I've seen that. 
Well, like part of the thing is that they don't have a faculty, so the students have to become the teachers. Right. So I use that as an analogy. I say, hey, listen, when you come in this class, you know, just don't sit back and listen to me because, you know what, I'm five foot five, and I look at obstacles through my own point of view. You know, I can't necessarily look at it through your point of view because maybe you're a different body type. Everybody here is completely unique. You know, you're looking at this race from a completely different perspective from everyone else here, and that applies to everyone. That's so right. I want you to contribute to the learning and the teaching of the class by <clears throat> telling us how you've approached obstacles. What, what has worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? And through that, when you have 19 to 20 people in your class and everybody's contributing with their own different body type, their own gender issues, their own um, strength to body weight ratio issues, or strengths and weaknesses, you know, so we're all learning from each other. And I can't tell you how much I've learned from the students in the class that I'm able to apply to the next time I instruct. It's made me a much better instructor and teacher that have taken many lessons I've learned from the students and then was able to pass it on to other people. So it's, for me, it's an incredibly valuable experience. And uh, the people that are there, they're learning from everyone as well. So it's, um, it's really cool to watch everybody contribute and, and just, again, just make the sport better. And, and, and it's not that often that you get to stand in front of an obstacle with a bunch of people and break it down and discuss how to do these things. And not only that, to be there with the pro team member that, I mean, you might be an elite runner that doesn't have any problems with the obstacles, but, you know, you're there with some different people. They might give you tips on how to be more proficient at it because it's like... Uh, for the way I used I used to do the eight foot wall, it was kind of a slow process of getting over it. And I watched videos on other people doing it, and I I was like, huh, I want to try that. But it's not something you want to try when you're running elite, you know. I mean, because you want to get over it as quick as possible, so you kind of get stuck in your own means of completing obstacles, you know. And you know, it's like you said, practice makes perfect. So, I mean, and before, you know. Me and a buddy, we'd go hit an open heat, and we'd just do the obstacles over and over again. But you, the, the, there's a lot of advantages to this course. Yeah, no, it's great. And, uh, I know you're down in the Georgia area, so I'll be teaching it actually again in Atlanta. Oh, really? I the, yeah, I taught obstacle specialist at the Atlanta Sprint, and I'll be teaching it also the day before the Atlanta Super. Oh, I'm signing uh, up for fall. sure. So. Yeah, I hope you. I hope you join. I hope some of your listeners hop in, man. I'd love to have them. On. Yeah, that's close enough. I can signing up for that one. Because <laughs> that's the only thing about it. Because I think they did one at New Jersey too. But you know, getting up there and getting another extra day in the hotel, it's a little bit harder to do. But that'll be cool. Because that's going to be at a new venue too at the Atlanta Super, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not going to be at the Olympic Park. It's going to be at that place where they were doing the Battle Frogs, that lake, lake something. Okay, I hadn't, I've never been there, but uh, no, that'd be cool to be at a different venue. Yeah, I've never been there either. It's like Lake Eleanor, Lake Lake Lanier, or something like that. I, okay. I'm, I'm not sure. I live in the south part of Georgia, but my buddy lives up there in Atlanta. My buddy Michael, you've met him. You probably don't remember. He's an ass. But, uh, 
but yeah i'm definitely going to sign up for that course i just think it'd be fun as hell just to hang around with a bunch of people that are in spartan and just you know picking apart the obstacles i mean that sounds awesome to me uh, it's a good time i love doing it uh i love being an instructor and uh you know just, i've met some super cool people doing it man so i'm looking forward to doing it again yeah that'll be cool um um man i and so go get out of that uh so I know you're on the Spartan Ultimate Team Challenge again this year. So I've seen where y'all took pictures, where y'all are actually doing it, where they were filming The Walking Dead. Tell us a little bit about how that's going on. I know you can't say much. Yeah, I mean, well, the first commercial actually is already aired. It's, uh, um, it's been on when they have uh, had these new American Ninja Warrior shows on. So it's already airing on NBC. It was uh, filmed all at night down at that really cool location in, in downtown Atlanta. There's eight episodes this year as opposed to six. There's oh, cool. only 20 14s as opposed to 36. So with the extra coverage, um, the extra production value, and the the cutback on the teams, it's really going to allow the viewer to you know a chance to connect and see the stories of the people this time. Yeah, because you know, some, of the, time some of the teams didn't was, even get airtime, I don't think, last year, did they? Some of the teams didn't get airtime, period. Yeah. And a lot of us just got very little. For example, my team got very little airtime, but we got more than a lot of others who got none. Right. So because there was only six episodes, it was everything got uh, condensed down. Where this, like, the te- all the teams there, they're going to be able to um, talk about their stories a lot more. Not everybody will be featured, but you'll you'll learn a lot more about the teams that are there. And um, the obstacles, some of the obstacles that are back are the slip wall and um, the tire swing and uh, the rope climb. And you you see all these things in um, in the commercial. Um, and there's a bunch of new obstacles that were just so gnarly, and it really forced. I mean, this year more than last year, you really had to work as a team to get through, like, everything. Like, I mean, it was completely based on your team, and the team that literally worked together the best are the teams that are going to be successful on this show. Um, and you'll you'll see why. It's just, it, was a, it was a gnarly experience and a tremendous one at that. My team uh, is called the Little Giants. And we're called the Little Giants because our entire squad is five foot five or under in height. Wow. We are tiny. Um, we're really small. That probably makes the slip are, wall difficult. Well, you're going to have to watch and see. Yeah. Um, there's certain obstacles that you think might be very, very difficult for us that, that weren't, you know, and, uh, you know, but, you know, we have our advantages and we have our disadvantages. But, again, when you put together a team, if everybody can learn how to work together, you're going to be able to conquer um, a lot more together than you, you can individually. So it's basically, you know, the team that comes together the most is going to be, is going to be really, really good in this. Um, the teams are more talented. Um, there is some tremendous stories that are going to be told. And uh, it's going to be, if you've seen the, tr- if you've seen the uh, commercial yet, it's uh, really exciting. If uh, <clears throat> if anybody wants to see the commercial that hasn't, I have it on my Instagram account. It's at, at K Donahue Lives. That's K D O N O G H U E 
L-I-V-E-S. I'll have to um, check it out because I haven't seen it. Look up my name, yet. Kevin Donahue. Um, you find it, and I had the the whole commercial on my Instagram account. It's maybe like uh, three or four feeds back. Um, my feed today filled up with me finding a baby deer on the side of the road. Yeah, I've seen that. Having to like, yeah, <laughs> had to move the little guy to a safer place. He was like right next to a really busy road, and his mom had ditched him on the other side of a huge ditch, and she took off, and he couldn't get across, and. There's traffic all over the place. And I was just going to leave them on the side of the road. So I didn't want to pick them up. You know, that, you know, wildlife, you try not to do that. Yeah. But it was the only way to get the little guy, you know, to safety. With, I'm you know, surprised he let you. He, the deer walked right up to us. Yeah. You know, I was out there with a buddy, and we're, we're walking around, and the little guy's sitting in the bushes, and we're looking at him, and he got right up, and he walked over to us, and he was kind of <laughs> brushing up against our legs like he was a cat. <laughs> and so I, I'm reaching down. I just start petting him, and he's walking around us. And then he started trying to go into the road, and I was like, "Yeah, let me pick this guy up and move him." <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I bet that was pretty. But, yeah, but again, Spartan LT Team Challenge starts June 12th. That's a Monday. It'll be on every Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right after American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and some of the Spartans that you know. That'll be on there will be uh, Robert Killian, um, Ryan Woods, uh, Heather Golnick. Oh, I love uh, her. Tyler. Yeah, Heather's great. Uh, Tyler McCready. You know, he's uh, oh, cool. one, yeah. of the better, one of the better Ultra Beasts out there. He's a captain of a team. Um, let me see. Who else? Uh, I believe Cassidy Watton. Um... Yeah, I saw her picture with all of her, her and her team all mugging. <laughs> yeah, uh, let me see. Matt Kempson's on it. Um, some of the Ninja Warriors that you'd know. And um, Mesner's team's coming back too, right? The, the Comeback Kids are back with Laura Messner and uh, and uh, Kevin Kevin Gelati is actually their their coach this year. Oh wow! And not not Ian. Ian is a coach of another team. Oh wow! I'm yeah, surprised they, they did that. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah, lots of surprises as far as that goes. Um, I know Ben Greenfield's going to be there. That'll be cool. That, uh, what's up? I know Ben Greenfield's team's there. That'll be interesting to watch. <laughs> what green team? Uh, ben Greenfield, his team. Oh, ben, yeah, Ben is back. That's right. Um, Ben's back. Uh, Isaiah with uh, American Dream Team is back. So, yeah, so there's some returning teams, but then there's there's a lot of teams, too. You know, a lot of new people, and uh, it, it's going to be exciting, man. You're, you're going to love it. Yeah, it was funny on last year's season where it was uh, Ben had done something. He was trying to help his, his wife get over the wall, and she fell or something, and she hollered at him or something, and it was just funny. <laughs> And then, <laughs> kind of made it. I mean, it didn't make him look like a bad guy, but there was like a couple of commentaries where they said something. You know, he said something where I'm sure they changed around. You know, parts of the conversation. And then they showed. They kept showing that clip of David Magida throwing that elbow at the end of a Spartan race, too. Yeah, and Glenn Race. Yeah, they they were really playing that up. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, one thing I say if you if you get to you know. If you get to know Dave Magida, you'll know he's like one of the best dudes you'll ever meet. You oh, know? I know it. He's got, yeah, he's got a 
he's got a big opinion and he'll share anything you want with him, but he's a real guy. That's a real man right there. Like oh. he's like he'll tell you exactly what he feels and he won't pull any punches and that that's the kind of people you want to be around. I've and, never uh, I've never and, met him. I saw him at Asheville, and I think that's the, that was the first time I ever met you was at Asheville last year. But I've seen him there. Right. But I've listened to a, several podcasts with him with him on it, and it's like you said, he just sounds like the friendliest, coolest guy. And he even I remember he even talking about that clip too. And I was like, man, they make me out to look like this bad guy on the show, and it's like the total opposite. <laughs> yeah, it couldn't be anything further from the truth, you know. And uh, and then Ben. Ben is one of the smartest human beings you'll oh, ever talk to. I know. I've and listened to every athlete. Yeah. yeah. And he's just a super nice guy and a real family guy and just, uh, dude just loves life. And, you know, he's, he's very amicable. If you have questions, he's more happy to, like, share, you know, share with you. And he's been on, this is his first year on the pro team. He's been a lot of fun to be around. I, oh, I man. Yeah, he's cool. Know. I, I think I've listened to every single episode of Obstacle Dominator, and I've I've listened to some of his his other his his more serious podcasts too, man. But that that was just good entertainment with him and Hunter. I mean, that was just great. Yeah, yeah, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> that was just good times. Well, hey, Kevin, man, I know I'm holding you up, but I, I've got a few more questions if you got time. Yeah, sure, man. <laughs> okay, so a few weeks ago. Uh, you posted a kind of like a old picture of where you and some buddies rolled over a look like a Nissan Xterra going to your first Ultra Beast. I was wondering if you'd tell us a little bit about that. It seemed like an adventure. <laughs> yeah, so 2012, it was the, in- the initial, the original, the first ever Ultra Beast um, at World Championships in Vermont. So, um, it was the only time they ever did this, but they had a team event and you had to have a team of three people and your team had to carry a 26 pound weight in a backpack throughout the entire course. So Holy you had to crap. do the ultra beach, which was two laps of the Vermont beast course. Right. And you had to do that while taking this 26 pound weight through the entire course. That's insane. Um, so at some time, every, one person had to be carrying that, so we all had to trade off with that 26-pound bag. And only one person, because they didn't really allow, like, a whole lot of hydration and nutrition back then, one person was allowed to carry another bag that had, like, you know, water in it or food or whatever. So you basically had one person carrying all the food and water, the other person with the, with the backpack with the 26-pound weight in it, and then the other person would carry nothing, and you just trade off the whole race. So, first ever Ultra Beast, like, we have no idea what to expect. You're literally, like, the, the slogan was, like, enter the unknown, and it literally was, like, we had no idea what was going to happen when we were out there. So we, like, you know, we packed more gear than we needed. We had a truck filled with stuff, right? Because we, we had no idea how much we would need in transition area, so we had, like, three giant bins that we were bringing into transition. Each one of us had something. And uh, we were bringing it all up there. And the parking, you know, the parking was further down the hill than where the start line was. And they were, you know, allowing people to pull up with their vehicles to, you know, kind of unload your stuff. And then, you know, you could park your car down the road. So I pull up, I'm like rolling into the place and the security guard gets like in front of me and he's kind of stopping me. So I, I pulled over to the side just so I could tell him, look, we're just dropping our bins off. 
they told us we could come up because we, we thought we were getting there early and we started running late. It was a half hour before the, the gun was supposed to go off. Right. You know, and the starting line's right there. It's like, okay, we just got to drop our stuff off, park the car, you know, I'll go park the car, you guys bring the stuff up, and then we're ready to go. So I'm just pulling on the side because the security guard wouldn't want to let us through, and I had to kind of get to the side so I could speak to him. And my front tire went, like, too close to a ditch and slid down a couple inches. And all of a sudden, we kind of got stuck, and we're like, what the heck's going on? Like, we just went down, like, a ditch a little bit. And next thing you know, like, the Tiger Woods golf ball at the Masters, you know, like, <laughs> 10 years ago, it slowly started sliding down in the ditch with the front tire, bottoms out, and then slowly the entire car flipped over and went upside down. So, boom, not only flip upside down, we're stuck upside down in this ditch, but all the stuff we packed went scattered all over the car. I mean, it went everywhere. Oh, like, man. Like, every piece of gear that was, like, the top, the lids popped off the bins, and everything that we had packed was all over the car. Not only that, I had, like, you know, I was, I was doing a lot of personal training at the time. I had, like, weight sets in the back. All the weights are flying everywhere. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, people are getting hit with shit. And there's stuff everywhere. There's a billion bags of goo and you name it. It's everywhere. But everybody had their seatbelts on, and there was one window open. I turned the car off. Like, everybody, all right? Like, yeah. I'm like, all right. Everybody climb out the window. So we climb out the window, and then we're like, what the F are we going to do? And like, all right, you guys get the stuff out of the vehicle. Right, and I'll go talk to the cops or whoever I need to talk to. But before that, we we gotta get a picture. <laughs> so we started snapping some pictures. If you could see in the background, the security driver. Yeah, I see him. He's just living because he doesn't think we're taking any of this stuff seriously. We're like, what the hell? We might as well take photos. We're stuck here upside down. So, lucky enough, like, um. I was able to talk to the, a lot of the medics were there, and they came running over. Like, no, we're fine. My brother ran the medic company that was actually working there that day. And I said, hey, listen, I just give you my credit card, my license, and when the cops pull up to this mess, just give my information and just say, hey, you know, here's the, the credit card for the tow truck driver. Can you just, you know, flip the thing over for me and just leave it there, and they can charge me wherever it is, and I'll, I'll take care of it later, but I, I need to go run this race. <laughs> and like, yeah, man, go do whatever you want, whatever. So I just gave him my license, my credit card. We grabbed our shit. We ran to the start line, and we we just took off. I said, look, if I get in trouble later, I get in trouble, but we got to run this race. I'm in trouble no matter what. Just go. Heck and it yeah. was myself, a guy named Andrew Hostetler, and Eric Mata. And Eric now owns a um, a very, very successful obstacle course racing gym called Ultimate Obstacles right. in Massachusetts. Andrew, Andrew Hostetler has been a race director over at a lot of the races in Asia and now been doing a lot of... Uh, race directing here in the United States, so he's stuck with it, so that was our team that year, and we ran up the mountain, and we started the course, and about six miles in, we had to come back into the venue, and as we're coming back into the venue, we see a tow truck flipping the vehicle back over, <laughs> so we're cheering, I'm like, all right, my vehicle's flipped back over, this is great. So that kind of you know, eased and, uh, your mind for the second lap? I, I didn't get a fine or anything like that. Or everybody took care of it. The good people at Spartan like made sure that I was all right. Didn't get in trouble, and you know. And uh, the second lap was over. Uh, got in the car and drove it back to the house. And uh, then the next day, I tried driving it out of Vermont, and the thing broke down. And I tried driving another five miles. The thing broke down again. 
to oil all of his differential, uh, the uh, distributor cap. Oh, man, And uh, yeah. so I had to kind of wheel it into a, a repair shop, and I got stuck in Vermont for another two days until they fixed it. But uh, it was uh, it was a wild experience. So that was the, uh, the car flip story. It was basically leave the car in a ditch and go run the first Ultra Beast. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I had to ask that story. I was like, man, I bet there's a good story behind that. Uh, <laughs> so how did y'all end up doing on that race? We were the second place team. Oh, we man. Took second overall, which is awesome. You know, I heard rumors that back when they did the first Ultra Beast that they only had like one or two water stations for the whole race at that point. I, you know, I don't even remember a water station. Yeah. Um, we had to pack our own, all our own water. And they told us if there's stuff out there, you could use it. But you're, I would plan on being on your own. I can't even remember seeing a water station. Yeah. And that's how it was back then. They, they literally, part of the race was not having water. You had to manage that yourself. I remember last year when right after Asheville, so many people complained about there wasn't enough water stations. And I mean, I thought there was plenty. Uh, I mean, yeah, there wasn't one at the very top of the mountain, but I mean, I, I ran without a hydration pack and I thought there was, you know, plenty of water, you know, but I mean, you just think about that. There's a, I mean, that, that was a long super. I want to say it was almost a 10 mile super. And, that, was 10, that was 10 miles. Yeah, there that was, a, was there was at least six water stations there, and you're talking about an ultra that might have had one water station at it? That's that's insane. If that, yeah. It was uh, it was different, but, you know, as a business model, you know, if you really want to get a lot of people out. Yeah, races, it's, you got to do it for everyone. Of, yeah, I mean, um, there's, uh, you know, if people don't want to use the water stations, they don't have to use them, but, you know, they have to have them available for... You know, there's a whole different population of people that are just doing this stuff for the first time. And, uh, you, you know, you, you won't have them coming back if it's this completely miserable experience, you know. Right. Um, everybody's got their own pain thresholds. And, you know, it's important to kind of look at things from other people's point of views. And, uh, oh. you know, if you want to survive as a business, as you see, like, a battle frog, like, if you make it too incredibly hard for everybody, you're not going to survive. Exactly. Well, and, it, and you got to look at it from this standpoint, too. Like, I mean, I'm running elite, which I'm I'm not anywhere close to what y'all finish at. But, you know, I want to say that was a long super for me, but I want to say I was done in like two hours and 45 minutes. So, I mean, and you know, there's some people that go out there and they may walk that whole course, so they're out there all day. So, you know, if you look at it from that point of view, if there's not a lot of water stations out there, yeah, those people are going to be in trouble. So I guess, you know, from the other side of the spectrum there for sure yeah definitely but uh well hey man uh oh i got one more question for you and i meant to ask you when we were talking about the uh the obstacle specialist training uh and that is is i volunteered at a race one time and i worked the eight foot wall and i saw you mean even people that were you know tall had problems with the eight foot wall and even some days you know when you're gassed and you're winded and you come up there i mean when i jump up on the eight foot wall i just barely get my fingertips on there and, and you know and I, but i can get over like that but i'm just wondering what tips do you could you give to our listeners 
as for somebody who is a little bit shorter, like how does Kevin Donahue get over the eight foot wall? Well, luckily for me, I was definitely blessed with the ability to jump. You know, um, back in my younger days, I could actually touch the rim on a basketball hoop. Right. <clears throat> so I, I had explosive power, and I still have a you know a um, you know close to a thirty inch vertical. Oh wow! Um, so I I could jump on on almost any given day. I could you know jump on up the eight foot wall and you know cup it with both hands like no problem. Oh wow! Um, if you, unfortunately, eight foot wall, if, if you can't jump and you're not using the blocks and if you can't get your hands to the top, you're, you're going to need help getting over. Um, but how much help do you need? You know, like maybe some people get their hands up, but they just, it, they're so extended with their arms, they have a very difficult time getting their, their entire body over. So whatever way it takes you to get your hands on top of the wall, whether it's you have to jump, you have to use a block on the side of the wall, whether it's you're getting assistance from one of your friends to get you know get you up a little bit. Once you get two hands up there, there's a couple techniques of using your feet. There's kind of a sideways technique where you kind of walk up the wall. And once you can hook one foot on top and you have three points of contact on top of that wall, it's very amicable. You can get you can kind of wiggle your way up once you get that foot up, you know, so if you can get both hands and hook one foot over the top, over the side, um, it's kind of hard to explain if you're not demonstrating it on the wall. Um, it, obviously it's one of those things you maybe have to come to an obstacle, especially course to see, um, cause I can't really explain it too well. Like again, like verbally, but if you could hook one foot over the top then you can pretty much wiggle up, um, I'm just saying I'm able to jump and get both hands up and then just kind of muscle up over and flip. Um, for me, I've never had a problem with it. I've only burpeed the eight foot wall once in my life. It was a very muddy race. The mud was incredibly thick at the bottom and it was like suction cups. So I couldn't get any lift off the ground. I had to go do 30 burpees. It was very humbling that day. That wasn't, the, that, that wasn't the Atlanta day, super in 2015, was it? I was Dallas beast in, uh, 2000. 15 i believe oh i was there too yeah that was a that was a pretty muddy course too yeah <clears throat> well there you have it folks uh if you want to learn more about getting over obstacles and and getting more proficient with obstacles i suggest you check out the obstacle specialist training course and when you go to sign up for the race if you look down towards the bottom where it says like the hurricane heat and the spectator passes there's another little link for the obstacle specialist training and it and it clearly says that it's friday and what what is it is it 7 or 9 a.m when it starts usually 9 a.m to 9 a.m to 2 p.m 9 a.m to 2 p.m well hey kevin man i really really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today man it's been it's been a blessing, man, and I think it's one of our better shows. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it, and, and thanks for reaching out. And uh, anytime I get to talk about uh, Spartan Race and Optical Course Racing with good people like you, man, it's a great day. Hey, I know you're running Monterey this weekend. What's your next race after that? Tuxedo the next day. Tuxedo the next day? That's, huh. Taking a red eye home and trying to do the Tuxedo Tri-State Sprint 10 minutes from my house, so my my plane lands at 5.30 a.m. I should be able to get to the race by uh, 6.45. Pray for so, no delays. <laughs> yeah, I plan on doing uh, West Coast, East Coast. Unless uh, unless they have me 
doing uh, sideline reporting again at Monterey, which I would love to do, man. I love the media side of it. I know I'm running Virginia, so I'm I'm probably going to be that dork that when the race is over in Virginia, I'm going to go to the hotel and just go back and watch all the live feed from Monterey. <laughs> Dude, I, I would also. It's great because it doesn't start till 10 a.m. out there. Yeah, man. I man, I thought that was that was just the best, and that was exactly. I mean, the Spartan TV show is great, but live feed is what we needed. Good man. I'm gonna tell them about that feedback for sure. Yeah, man. It's great. It's great. But uh, hey, Kevin, man. Like I said, thank you again. I know it's went kind of long. Uh, I appreciate you talking to us today, man. We'll talk to you later, bro. You're welcome. Take care. All right, man. Bye. Hope y'all enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Kevin again for taking the time to uh, talk to us. Uh, I encourage everybody to check out this obstacle specialist training course. I really think it'll help everybody with their game. I'm going to sign up for it. And uh, I'll be in Virginia this weekend with uh, my friend Michael Robertson and Jason Hart. Come up to us and say what's up. Um... Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and leave us a review on iTunes if you feel gracious. We'll see you at the next race. Peace!